Anyway, good morning. We welcome. We're glad to have you with us this morning. We're going to be looking at First John chapter two, verses seven through eleven. I kind of entitled this. This, this one is a, a little. Well, it's not hard to outline, but but the subject matter is one word and it's in one verse. But it's actually the subject of the whole of the whole text, and that's the subject of of uh, love. Is is uh, is 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 what John is going to be talking about through this entire entire. Uh, this entire uh, text, and uh, and he talks about light and in 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 and love. So I kind of put those two together. But uh, uh, we're once again in uh, in a situation where the claims of being a Christian are being made, and and uh, uh, and John is uh, giving to us in his typical. It's either it's, it's black and white. The, the claim is true or the claim is false. Period. There's no in between, and that's what he's that's what he's going to uh, that's what he's going to discuss further in this one. He's taking it from a little. It, it's it's basically a continuation of where he was last week, where he where he talked about. He talked about uh, uh, there in in knowing him and keeping commandments uh, and saying one thing and not and not doing not practicing as you have said and so here he he's doing the same thing. Do you demonstrate love or not? Are, are you in the light or you're or you're not? It's either or. It's there's no in between. Uh, there's no in between with John as he begins this as he begins this text and of, and of course this is all in the backdrop of 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 an encroaching heresy called gnosticism which is at its early early stages which basically is is as we have said is is nothing more than nothing more than uh, than um, um, Greek dualism, uh, basically that sees uh, spirit as good and physical as bad, and so it takes on various forms in Christianity. As a result of that, they really haven't defined themselves as clearly as they will in the next century. Uh, but they're uh, but they're beginning to but they're beginning to but they're beginning to uh, to creep into the church and basically the Gnostics taught that that they had a higher level of knowledge they had uh, uh, special revelation that you commoners just don't have you know and and we're far elevated above you uh, is is the idea and 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 uh, 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 and as a result of that uh, John has to address those things as he as he moves through this text this morning so that's a that's where we're going to be going as we look at the the old commandment the new commandment and the working out of that commandment is is the reality of what this what this text talks about so uh, are there any uh, prayer requests this morning before we okay okay Okay, let's open. Father God, we thank you as we come um, as we come together this morning to uh, to uh, to look into your word and allow your spirit to illumine our minds to the truth that uh, that rests there. And we ask, Father, that that would be what happens this morning. Uh, that we would see what you have for us in these verses from the Apostle John, uh, that that the Spirit would take them and apply them to our hearts, draw us closer, make us stronger, uh, bring us closer to you, bring us closer in conformity uh, to walk as you walked, as, as, as verse 6 said. 
And Father, we just ask now that uh, you would bless those, uh, uh, the Farrell family, as as he goes through uh, through a long term um, uh, recovery. Uh, for Roger, as he uh, recovers from the hip injury, we ask that you would return them to us, uh, bring them to strength. But we ask. Father, that your will would be worked out in their lives for your glory. And we ask that all that we do this morning would be for your everlasting everlasting glory. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to look first of all at the old commandment, verse 7. John begins by saying, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old command, commandment is the word which you have heard. And he, he begins with a, a very common, actually, uh, John, um, uh, John greeting, uh, Beloved. Uh, it's, used, uh, it's used six times in 1 John. It's used four times in 3 John. It's, it's, it's common for him to use this. this is, this and little children are his uh, are his greetings to believers. Uh, that's who he's addressing. He's addressing he's addressing believers here. He calls them beloved. Uh, it forms a transi- it forms a transition from knowing and obeying God uh, to the subject of love, which is the subject of this text. And and beloved draws attention. To that, to that uh, very idea of, of of love. That's what he. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, he's saying, beloved, you fellow believers, whom I care deeply for, and that's really the expression of God given love is that the the deep concern and care believers are to have for one another. And so he calls them beloved. And he and then he goes on and he says, <clears throat> he says, I am writing to you. I am not writing to you a new commandment. Uh, but an old commandment, which you've heard from the beginning. So he says, it's not new. This is nothing new that I have to say to you. It's actually something that's very old. Uh, new here means new in kind. It doesn't mean something different. Uh, the Gnostics taught that they had new revelation. They had new insight. They had new ways of of approaching God is the idea. Uh, that's not what John is saying here. John is saying here, what I have to say is nothing new in that sense. It is not some different revelation. It is not something. It is not something that uh, uh, that uh, uh, that some strange, new, innovative, uh, marvelous, wonderful. Oh, this is going to knock your socks off teaching. This is the gospel, is what John is saying. It's, a, it's the same thing. John, John called the Gnostics in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 26, deceivers. He says, there is no deception here, is the idea. Uh, this, is, this is what you know, is, is, is the idea that he's talking about. He's saying, it's not some new, strange teaching. He didn't invent it. This is the word of God he is talking about. Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's been the teaching from the time of Moses. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 5 says, you shall love Yahweh. And that's what goes on with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then goes on, and, they, and you are to so teach it. Is, is the idea. Uh, this is the subject matter that he's bringing up here. In, in, Ro- uh, in Romans chapter 13, Paul takes that same passage <clears throat> out of, out of, uh, out of uh, Leviticus, and he, and he says this to the, the church at Rome, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 
For, for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any, any other, and if any, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work uh, evil against his neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So this is the this is the old commandment that he's talking about. That's not new in kind. It's the same. It hasn't changed. Is the idea here? And he says you've heard it from the beginning. That's the next thing he says. You've heard it from beginning. Well, what does he mean by beginning here? Beginning here is is not the giving of the law necessarily, although it has existed since the giving of the law. And it's not not even back to creation, although in reality it exists all the way back to there. Uh, but he's saying it's the, at the beginning of your Christian experience. That's where you became acquainted with this law. That's where you became, acqu- that's where you became uh, uh, acquainted with this commandment when you met Jesus Christ, because God in his love sent his son. That's that's the basis of your salvation. And he's, he's saying here, that's the idea. That's that's how we know it. First uh, John 4.16 tells us that it is the very nature of God to love. God is love. And, and these are the things that you learned early on as, a, as, as, as you came to Jesus Christ. John 13, uh, thir- uh, 30, 34 and 35. My tabs are stuck together, excuse me. <laughs> a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this you shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So that's that's the commandment he's talking about here. This is, this is what he's talking about here. By this you'll know that... By this you will know that you are my disciples if you, do love, if you love one another. And he says, it's the word which you heard. Jesus quite clearly taught this. We've been, list, we've been hearing the text that I'm going to bring up. Matthew chapter 5, 5 through chapter 7. Uh, this entire section uh, deals with Jesus elevating the law uh, and making it the the law of Christ, which is a law based in love, is the idea here. That's, that's the idea. He's saying, he's saying, this is what you've heard. You've heard it from the beginning. Jesus taught it, is the idea. Yeah, Jesus commanded it in John, as we've already seen. And what he's saying here, as, as, as true believers, upon receiving Christ... They have committed themselves to obeying him and following him. First John two six, as we've already as we looked at last week, which says which says the one who says he abides in him ought to also walk in the same manner as he walked. So this this commandment is nothing new. It's a commandment that you knew from the minute you got saved. That, that's the commandment that we are to love one another. That's the that's the basis of this. As God loved, we are to love. That's that's what he's that's what he's emphasizing here in this in this old commandment. And then he goes on and not contradicting himself, as some have suggested. He says, 
On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. On the other hand, literally, it's again, again in verse 8, it says it's the same idea. It's the same idea, but we're going to look at it from a different vantage point. New here is different from the new before. The, the new before meant meant not new in kind. It, it, it didn't change its kind. It was the same kind. Here, he's saying new is a qualitatively new. In other words, it's new in the sense that it has a elevated quality, a different quality. A di- its essence has been, has been refreshed, if you will. Uh, it doesn't really speak of chronology here. It's not, it's not necessarily new in time. It's new in essence is the idea here. Once again, John thirteen twenty four, the commandment to, to love that Jesus gave to, to love. And, and, he's, and he says, it, it's a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it, this quality of, of command, Jesus' command is new in quality, but it's still the old truth, Leviticus uh, nineteen thirty four. Uh, which which uh, which told Israel that they were to love the sojourner as a native. That love had an extended, an extended reach. It wasn't just as the rabbis taught. You only loved Jews, and the Jews primarily of the same elk you were. Is the idea here? It's it was it was they were to they were to welcome the sojourner. They were to treat them as as a native. That's that's the idea here, and and Jesus demonstrated this. That, that's that's the idea that he's wanting us to understand. And on the other hand, I'm not writing a new commandment. But what was true in him? And and he says what was true in him is he demonstrated it, especially in his final hours, John chapter seventeen, or excuse me, chapter thirteen through seventeen, the whole upper room discourse, just some of the things that went on there. In thirteen one through through seventeen, uh, Jesus washes to the feet of the disciples. He takes the humble position of a servant and he washes the feet of the disciples. He served them, demonstrating love toward them, and and explaining to them. Uh, the reality of salvation uh, that once cleaned you don't need to be cleaned again but occasionally the dirt of this world gets on you and you need to be cleaned up is what he was what he was trying to explain to them and then he goes on in, in chapter 14 and he promises them a home in heaven in chapter 14, 1 through 4. In, in chapter 14, verses 25 through 26, and in 15, uh, 26, and in 16, 7 through 15, he assures them that once he leaves, he will not leave them comfortless, and he promises the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are the things that go on during that time. And, <clears throat> and then in, in 15, 3, he explains to them that he is going to lay down his life for them, that he would die for them. And in seventeen seventeen, he says that the word of God will sanctify them in the truth, because the word is truth. These are these are the things that he's that is expressing here. He said this is how Jesus walked, and he gives and he goes on and he and he says he says that which was true in him. And he gives new meaning to the command for us to love our neighbor. And he illustrates that 
In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is the neighbor? It wasn't necessarily his kinsmen, Jews. It was the enemy Samaritan who was, in fact, his neighbor. And he he illustrates that. Who's our neighbor? Mankind, (laughs) ultimately. And then he goes on and he says that that we're to expend... um, We're to extend love not only to our neighbors who are okay, but to our enemies. In Matthew 5, 43-44, uh, 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 that love is to be extended to our enemies as well. And then he, he goes on and he says, it, it goes on and it tells us in Matthew 11-19 through 19 that Jesus himself was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, those who were the outcast of Israel, those who were who were hated and despised, and it says that Jesus was a friend of them, and so he says that that's the way we should operate too. That's the way love is then demonstrated. Uh, this new quality of love goes beyond just goes beyond loving the lovely. Uh, it goes to loving the unlovely as well is the idea here. And he says the command has always been enforced. That's why it's not old, but it's now been manifest in Jesus Christ, and he has given to it a new and lasting quality, is, is what he wants them to understand. And then he says, he says, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The true light, of course, is Jesus John, uh, John eight, twelve, and Jesus spoke again to them, saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." That's that's what he's he's saying here. He's saying, of course, light and darkness are biblical terms that represent good and evil. And basically what it is saying here is he he is saying to us that the evil world is passing away. It hasn't passed. It's still here. But light is shining into it. Uh, And that light came when Jesus became incarnate. That's the idea here. And he's saying, he's saying, the light is shining into it, and as a result of that, the darkness is passing away. It still has its shadows, but it's passing away. Ultimately, ultimately, there won't even be a need for a sun, because, because the light of Jesus will, shine, will fill the earth. Uh, that's the idea here. It's just passing away is the idea here. It, it speaks of truth and holiness. And the idea is it's already shining, but it hasn't completely dispelled the darkness. That, that isn't a finished task as of yet. It says it's passing away. The, uh, it's, the darkness is passing away. The realm of error with its, with its, uh, uh, with its, uh, with its more, t- uh, with its quality of, of evil is now passing away. It's kind of interesting to note just how the Jews viewed things in, in light of this. Uh, how revolutionary this was to the time when it when it was being spoken, when it was being spoken. Uh, what how how the world had seen, how especially the Jewish world had seen these things. The rabbis uh, said of a sinner, 
that that they were the ones which God wished to destroy. In fact, they said this, there is joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated from the earth. That was a teaching of the rabbis. Now, in contrast, Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. The rabbis taught on Gentiles, pretty much all of us. They taught this. Gentiles were created by God to be the fuel for the fires of hell. That, that was a rabbinic teaching. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a new quality. Yeah. No, I thought that... Um... It depends on which ones you're talking about. That was the Sadducees, which is why they are sad, you see. That's an old, old joke, but I got a laugh out of it, so it's okay. Anyway. See, Jesus widened the boundaries of love, making the uh, commandments new in quality, expanding the reach of God's saving love. That's, 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 that's why it is new. It's new in quality. It's new in essence. It's new in, it's new in application, I suppose you could say. And then... Just as a, kind of an insert to speak of biblical love, we talk about love, agape love, and we talk about it in terms of being self-sacrificing. When we see that in Jesus, it's, it's, it, puts, it puts value on, on another. It's not, it, it is, of course, steeped with emotion. You can't separate emotion from it, but it's primarily an action, not an emotion. It's an act of the will. Is, is the primary concept of it. But I thought it might be interesting just to look at a few biblical passages that, that illustrate what this love what this love kind of looks like. Uh, John 13, uh, 34 through35, it, it, it speaks of humility and service. This love is expressed in, in how we can purport ourselves before others and how we, how we, how we humbly serve others and, and, and that kind of idea. Uh, it, in Philippians 2, 1 through 8, where it talks about Jesus and his humiliation and taking on the form of a man, it speaks of self-emptying, not being caught up with me. You know, I'm not the most important thing that ever walked the face of the earth. It, it talks about being, of taking on that form, of taking on a lowly servant form of, 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 of self-sacrifice is the idea here. In John fifteen twelve, it talks about the fact of sacrificing one's own life. Incidentally, I, I did a little bit of look. I, I just got curious. Sometimes I study something and something completely remotely goes, I wonder what about this? But anyway, I, I looked up and I thought, how many Christians were killed under Rome? And, and you know, and I, and I, had, I had no idea. But under Diocletian, 3,500 Christians were slaughtered. There were probably a lot more than that killed overall, but directly under his persecution, 3,500. And I thought, well, that's not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> anyway, which that's kind of a stupid thought. But anyway, 3,500 people. So I looked up, I, I did a little more looking. In 2022, 
in Nigeria. Nigeria. 4,560 Christians were martyred. That was last year. And, and this caught my attention. There was one young woman who was a student in Nairobi who was studying uh, economics who posted, who was a Christian, by the way, who posted online, Jesus is great, he helped me get through my exams. A mob of Muslims attacked her, beat her to death, burned her body for blasphemy of the prophet. That's the world we live in today. That's the idea here. Sometimes Christians are called upon to die. Oh, by the way, her, her name was, oh, I forgot, Samuel. Her last name was Samuels. Uh, Deborah Samuels, that was her name. Anyway, but that's, that's the world here. Uh, that's, that's what love can look like sometimes. Uh, John, 1 John 4.10 uh, says it's, it's that this kind of love is unsolicited. We offer it freely. And it's not, it's not to gain. It's not for personal gain is, is the idea. Second uh, John 5 and 6 says that it's seeking to obey the Bible in every situation and relationship. That's agape love, is it seeks to obey. And, and then finally, it's our choice it's to give toward others. And I think primarily here it, it means the giving of the gospel is the idea. Just just some of the, the ideas of what this kind of love John is talking about uh, looks like. That's, that's kind of what it looks like. And then he goes on and he, and he talks about now living out that command in verses 9 through 11. And, and he, says, he says here, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. So here we have another Another idea where John now picks back up from where he was uh, last week when we looked in, in verses, uh, uh, I guess it would be three, three through six, uh, where the claim of being a Christian is being made. And, and he's going to contrast here light and darkness. John does all these contrasts all the time. But he's still talking about love as we go through this, as verse 10 is going to tell us. Uh, and, and we have someone here who is claiming uh, to be a Christian. This is the declaration that he is making. He is saying, he's one who says, I am in the light. This is, uh, incidentally, the Gnostics plea. They had the light. They had the super light. They had the, you know, the... the LED beam or something, you know, boom, right on them. They were, they were, they were, they were super saints. Is the is the idea, and and uh, uh, and, and that's that's what he's that's what he's saying. They're in the light. John said in chapter one, uh, verses five through seven. He says, and this is the message we heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we would say we have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness we lie and do not know the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sin so john defines a christian as one who walks in the light and he says one who walks in the darkness but says he walks in the light is not a christian he is a liar that's what he's saying here and, 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 and so he's saying so the so john here is saying we have one who is claiming i walk in the light 
That's what this one claims. Uh, no, and, and as I said, that's what the Gnostics claimed. They had higher knowledge. They had they had a, a higher knowledge of the divine nature. Uh, they had communion with deity, and they were far above common people. That's that was their claim. That was their claim. So this is one of the things they would claim. We live in light. Uh, we have light that is beyond you. Would be their claim. He says, but he hates his brother. And he hates his brother. He's in darkness until now. In other words, he is saying he's a liar. That's, that's what he's saying here. John is saying his profession of light has no truth to it. He is not a believer. He's an unregenerate who lives in the realm of darkness. That's, that's what he's saying. If he has hate for his brother, which is sent me on another quest uh, about hate. Hate in this context, in, in, in here in the Greek text here, is a, is a, is a present tense uh, verb, which means it's a habitual attitude. And it would include indifference would, we, would be a part of, of, of this word. That he's totally indifferent to his brother. Indifference to your brother is hating him, is, is ultimately what he's saying. And this is a this is a constant form of this individual's life. It's not just a one-time thing he got up not feeling good, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a pattern of life. This is the way he conducts his life. Indifferent. Uh, hating is, is the idea here uh, that, he's, that he's saying. He's saying here. Uh, and and he, this person is claiming to have fellowship and to know God, but there's no evidence to back his claim. There is no concern for those who really are who he would say are brothers. Uh, for 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 real Christians, I guess would be. I was going to say other Christians, but the guy's not a Christian, so that doesn't work. Uh, but his actions are that he hates his brother. It's a life that is in darkness. It's of total, total truth. Uh, John in three in three fifteen says that. <clears throat> Hating is, is not a light matter because the one who hates is a murderer. That's a pretty strong term. Uh, in, in 420, he says, the one who hates is a liar. Uh, this is a person that is totally devoid of anything good, is, is really the idea. Uh, Barclay, in his commentary, had some interesting thoughts. He, he, he offered... Uh, he offered uh, this concerning hating of a brother, and, and he said it's basically more a question of how you regard your brother as to whether you're hating or not. And he suggested this, that the first thing he suggested, I, I guess he kind of went from, from kind of bad to really bad to really good. <laughs> but anyway, he, he went like this. He said, uh, being negligent, just being negligent. Uh, this is an individual who lives a self-centered life with no regard for the needs of a brother. He's not interested in his welfare, even to the point of not really being interested in his salvation. And he lives simply for self. That's someone who hates his brother. Uh, that's someone who, who hates. That's someone who just neglects everyone else is the idea. Uh, someone who has contempt for. Someone who sees himself living on an elevated plane and everybody else is beneath him, 
And he might condescend to speak to them, but he really just can't be bothered. Uh, He treats them as a fool. Their opinions are brushed aside. And they're simply just not on his level. That's, that's, that's the idea here. Uh, he treats them with contempt. Treats them with contempt. Uh, that would be defined as hate in biblical terms. Uh, that they're a nuisance. But now that may be, you know, there may be some people that are a little bit of a nuisance. But anyway, uh, the idea here is, this one kind of is in the idea of caring for someone's needs. It's the idea that giving aid is an unfortunate necessity. In other words, they give grudgingly. This is someone who participates but really doesn't want to and really thinks it's a nuisance, you know, is the idea here. Uh, They don't want to, they don't want to contribute. They may, but they don't want to. They don't want to be a, a part of it at all. And then the bigger one is the one who is an enemy, which is interesting how how Barclay defined this. And I, I got to thinking about it. And, you know, in, in our world, this is probably true. He says, an enemy is someone we see as competition. It's someone we see as competition. That's We see them as as someone we have to put down, we have to overpower, uh, we have to excel over, and therefore they're an enemy. Uh, you know, in the masculine world, everything is a competition, right, guys? You know, we compete with everybody about everything, but not in Christianity. There is no competition. I have seen in church, uh, just for example, I've been in a church where this has happened, where there is competition between Staff members, guess what it does? Destroys the church. It destroys the fellowship. I see where there's competition between church members over positions or prominence or or whatever, getting their nose out of joint over it. And it works. And it works with women too because they do it too. They do it a little different, but they do it too. They compete. You know. Keep in mind, if you're seeing somebody as competition for something, you're viewing them as an enemy. That's what this is saying. And you're, in effect, hating your brother. And the final thing he said was, he went back to the positive side. The one you don't hate is the one who is your brother. His needs are our needs. His joys are our joys. His fellowship is a true joy. That's the idea here. That's the idea here. John says, the one who hates his brother, who sees him with, with, who neglects him, who sees him with contempt as a nuisance, and in fact is competition an enemy. That one lives in darkness, not in light. The one in light sees him as a brother, sees him from joy for joy, need for need. Fellowship is the idea. The idea is how do you act to your brother? Uh, how you react to your brother indicates whether you live in the light or you're still blind in the dark. Uh, this blind in the dark has the concept of groping around in the dark, which he'll, he'll, he'll get to that. He gets to that a little bit later on, too. And, and he says, and they're doing it even until now. 
this is just a pattern of life. That's that's the idea here. That's the idea he's saying. He's saying he hates. And then in verse ten he says, "But the one who loves is a brother lies, uh, abides in light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him." So the one who the one who loves his brother abides in light. Love. Uh, of course is the context here and this also is a present tense uh, verb which means it's a habitual action it's someone who is who that would that would include in their actions humble sacrifice toward their brothers that's the idea here there's someone who is there when they can meet a need meets the need you obviously can't meet every need of everybody but when you can it's your your duty to do so that's the idea here uh, once again back to John 13 34 35 that you you world will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another and and he, and he says he says he abides that's that's the idea. He abides. He, he lives there. This is where he lives. He lives in light. He abides in light. It, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a dwelling. It's to be at home in the light. In other words, that's where you're comfortable. That's where you. That's your residence. That's your place of being, if you will. And he says, as a result of that, there is no cause. For stumbling in him. Stumbling uh, is equal to sinning in this case. And in 1 Corinthians 8.13, Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians, and in this case he was talking about uh, eating of of, uh, various items that might cause a brother uh, problems. He says, therefore, if if food causes my brother to stumble, i.e. sin, I will never eat meat again. Even so, that uh, even so, I will not cause my bro- my brother to stumble. The idea is, one who lives in the light doesn't do anything that would cause stumbling. Is is the idea that he's expressing there? He goes, but in this particular in this particular text, the question is, who is it that's being stumbled? The one is, do you cause your brother to stumble, or do you stumble yourself? Stumble, which means trip could easily be applied to number one because that's the idea here you've done something to trip your brother up but in light of the the context i think it is you stumble yourself because the next verse the very next verse says but the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness blinds his eyes so, so basically, to be in darkness is to stumble yourself, to cause yourself to fall deeper and deeper into sin. That's, that's the idea that he's, he's wanting to express here. He says, <clears throat> he walks in darkness. Uh, there, he doesn't, he doesn't, he obviously, the one who walks in the light doesn't want to do anything to cause stumbling. He's like, Paul, I won't eat meat if that's going to stumble my brother. I hope I don't have that brother. But anyway, uh, <laughs> But nevertheless, nevertheless, he says that he, 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 would, he would do that. He, he, stu- he, won't, he won't stumble him. But, but here the idea is the one who is in darkness is just stumbling around. That's how he goes through life. There's, his life really has no direction. It's a constant tripping. It's a constant bumping into things and falling over. one who hates his brother 
it brings him down. Verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks in the darkness, and he does not know where he's going, because the darkness blinds his eyes. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Paul encouraging the, uh, the, uh, the Ephesians here about putting on the new man of, of uh, being united in the spirit. In verse 17, he says this, Therefore, this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you walk no longer as the, as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of your mind. Literally empty-headed. Uh, that, that you walk no longer in the futility of your mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in uh, that is that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts and having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's that's the one who walks in darkness. That's how Paul defines him: empty-headed, greedy, stumbling. Not knowing where they're going. That's that's the idea here. Groping in the dark is the idea here, and that's that's the Gnostics. We have this super light, but they had no idea where they were going. No idea where they were going. But those are in. But those who are in the light. Matthew five sixteen. Let their light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the idea of this text this morning. John says, this is nothing new. It's, it's a commandment that's always been around. It was around with Moses. But love your brother. Walk in the light. That's the idea that he's wanting to express here. And that, that love means you care about him. You care about his needs. You cry when he cries. You laugh when he laughs. And you have joy together. That's, that's, that's the picture that he wants, to be, that he wants him to, to be here. And he says, the one who habitually goes about not loving his brother, hating his brother, can make any claim he wants. He's not a believer. Bottom line. Uh, this is a test. It's a test we can run by ourselves. How, how am I reacting you know, today uh, to the people around me? Even to the clown that's talking to me. Uh, but anyway, that's just a, But, you know, that's, that's the idea here. That's the idea here. He wants you to understand. He wants, he wants you to understand that there are people who are going to claim they're believers, and when you look at their life, they're not. You can say what you want, but you have to walk the walk. Verse 6, walk in the same manner as he walked. Any comments or questions this morning? Well, the answer was yes. <laughs> From the beginning, yes, he was his brother's keeper. That was the answer. 